1 Samuel 17. <clears throat> we'll get there in just a moment. Good to see you. I changed up the uh, seating, which we had it for Wednesday night as well, but uh, kind of mean like that. I like to change things up every now and then just to throw people off a little bit, get us out of our norm. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, good to see you today. And uh, looking forward to the uh, upcoming month. We're in February now. It's the greatest month of the year. Um, some of us get wiser in the month of February. Um, me and James do. Uh, but outside of that, everybody else just gets less wiser, I guess. Uh, but uh, we've got, uh, of course, the Super Bowls in February, uh, which if you don't like football, then you don't care. Um, if you don't like the 49ers or the Chiefs, then you don't care. Um, so that's pretty much all of us. But uh, nonetheless... Uh, <laughs> Super Bowls tonight. Um, it's funny, pastors, they get a little cranky on Super Bowl Sunday. My pastor growing up always scheduled a business meeting Sunday night after the service um, on Super Bowl Sunday and uh, trying to prove a point. Um, you know, and pastors get all up, uptight about, well, if you move your service schedule around so that people can make the Super Bowl, then, then you know, you're a godless person. And I always say, well, we already have an afternoon service, and so it all works out for us. And I told one pastor this week, I said, I feel like pastors who end their service just in time for their people to get home and watch the halftime show are heathens. And uh, so uh, it's always fun to talk with other pastors. Uh, I'm thankful most of my pastor friends are um, pretty common sense oriented. But nonetheless, uh, let's pray. Uh, we're going to get into uh, uh, 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. I'm sure you've heard of it, uh, but uh, we're going to look at some thoughts today uh, with that. Lord, I pray for your help. I pray that this morning, although we're covering a very familiar passage in Scripture, I pray that you would give us something fresh today. I pray that we would learn something from it, be encouraged by it, and be challenged by it. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I present it, um, that I would be uh, doing it so correctly and in a way that can help. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think of, uh, I don't think I've ever done an, actually a Super Bowl themed sermon before. Uh, I do that around uh, holidays and things like that. I try to Father's Day, Mother's Day, um, even Valentine's Day to some extent and things like that as well. But I was thinking about uh, what to preach on uh, this week and, and, uh, and, and just I was thinking, well, what, what, let's, it'd be fun to do something kind of Super Bowl themed around it and of course the Super Bowl is not in the Bible I wasn't sure if you're aware of that or not but uh, um, nonetheless uh, I started thinking about some great speeches throughout history and uh, when you think of great speeches you usually go to two things either presidential or uh, to sports there's a lot of great speeches in sports as a matter of fact my favorite speech is done by the man I was named after uh, Vince Lombardi and uh, this speech it says what it takes to be number one it says winning is not a sometime thing, it's an all-the-time thing. You don't win once in a while, you don't do things right once in a while, you do them right all the time. Winning is a habit, unfortunately, so is losing. There is no room for second place. There is only one place in my game, and that's first place. I have finished second twice in my time at Green Bay, and, but, and I don't ever want to finish second again. There is a second place uh, bowl game, but it's a game for losers played by losers, and it is always and has always been American zeal to be first in anything we do and to win and to win and to win. Every time a football player goes to ply his trade, he's got 
uh, to play from the ground up, from the soles of his feet right up to his head. Every inch of him has to play. Some guys play with their heads. That's okay. You've got to be smart to be number one in any business. But more importantly, you've got to play with your heart, with every fiber of your body. If you're lucky enough to find a guy with a lot of head and a lot of heart, he's never going to come off the field second. Running a football team is no different than running any other kind of organization, an army, a political party, or a business. The principles are the same. The object is to win, to beat the other guy. Maybe that sounds hard or cruel. I do not think it is. It is really a, it is a reality of life that men are competitive, and most competitive games draw the most competitive men. That's why they are there, to compete. The object is to win fairly, squarely, by the rules, but to win. I don't think uh, the Patriots ever read this speech. Uh, and in truth, I've never known a man worth his salt who in the long run, deep down in his heart, didn't appreciate the grind, the discipline. There is something in good men that really yearns for discipline and the harsh reality of head-to-head -head combat. I don't say these things because I believe in the brute nature of men or that men must be brutalized to be combative. I believe in God and I believe in human decency. But I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, his greatest fulfillment to all that he holds dear, is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of a battle victorious. It's my favorite speech. And there are some good political speeches, of course, as well. And there's some other good sports speeches there. But in thinking about uh, uh, great speeches in the Bible... Um, if I can use that word speech. Great speeches in the Bible. The very first thought I came to was David. Uh, now Christ had some good speeches. Paul, I, again, I use the word speech lightly. Uh, Paul had some good speeches. There were some other men that gave some, uh, uh, some rousing battle speeches or things like that. But I love the story of David and Goliath because of David's speech, uh, specifically in front of Goliath. But he had a few moments in this storyline uh, that bring out some motivational feelings. It's not about feelings, right? It's not about emotion when it comes to the things of God. Uh, but David has some, some good, good thoughts, some good words, and some, a great speech or two involved in this story of David and Goliath. And I thought that maybe today we would look at it. Let's start in verse number 26. Uh, 1 Samuel 17 and verse number 26. I'm going to assume, and maybe I should not, that you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Uh, but at the very least, I'll give you this much precursor. Uh, David's brothers were soldiers, and they were involved in this battle. David was at home taking care of the sheep as his father had commanded him to do so. And his dad said, David, I want you to go and check on your brothers, take them some food, take them some other things, and just check in on them and let me know how things are going. David does so. And, uh, and even reports back to his dad, and his dad ends up sending him back again another time. And so here we are in verse 26, as David is back with his brothers in the camp, and, uh, and he's heard Goliath uh, out here speaking. Verse 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him. Remember, these are soldiers that he's speaking to. Uh, men that are older than him, still young men, more than likely most of them, but older than him. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is a so short speech uh, by David, but number one today, I want you to see that he had the right question. 
Verse 26 showed us that he had the right question. He asked this great question to these soldiers that had been standing there listening to Goliath spout off against their God and against them for many days now, for weeks even. Uh, this Goliath would come out and begin to speak uh, profane things towards God and the men here. And David asked this question, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. It's a great question that David asked. Who in the world is this big guy out here, this uncircumcised Philistine, that he, of all people, should defy the armies of who? The living God. Who is he? Who does he think he is? I think sometimes in life we come across these uh, issues and circumstances where we forget to ask this question. Who is this guy compared to God? He says, first of all, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. He's not one of us. He's not one of God's children. He's not part of God's army. Who does he think he is? And then the other thing is that he says he's defying the army of the living God. The living God, that phrase is used six other times that I could find in the Bible. And every single time that it's used, it's used to contrast against idols. The living God compared to idols. The army of the living God compared to the army who worships fake statues. Or the real statues. Fake gods in the form of statues. He says, who does he think he is? He's not one of us. That he should come and defy. It's almost that mentality of, remember, relatives. Well, he's not part of our family. He can't pick on my brother. He can't pick on my sister. He's not one of us. He can't pick on my cousin. He's not one of us. Whatever it is, and there's that, that ownership that we take in family, that pride that we take in family. Well, David says, first of all, he's not one of us. Second of all, who does he think he is that he can defy the armies of the living God, of the one true God, of the God who created the universe? Who does he think he is that he can do this? Oftentimes we come across circumstances in our life and we need some motivation to get past them, some biblical, spiritual motivation to get past them. And we need to ask the question, uh, who does this circumstance think they are that they can come against me, a child of God, a child of the one true God, a child of the living God? What does this circumstance think that they are compared to God? What is my, uh, we don't use the word enemy a whole lot in our regular daily vocabulary, but what does my enemy think they are compared to my God? Those that are coming against me, those that are challenging me when it comes to things of spiritual nature. Who does my boss think he is compared, or he or she is, compared to my God? I'm thankful I've, got, I've had good bosses in every job that I've had in Lexington um, for the most part. Um, but uh, my boss now is a professed Christian and there's some things we disagree on and some standard things and things like that. But at the end of the day, I'm thankful that my boss doesn't question when it comes to the things of God, when I have a thing that I need time off for, when it comes to my pastoral duties or whatever it may be. My boss is understanding of that. But there are other bosses who would say, I don't care what your religious belief is, this is okay. I'm going to make you think this way. And we know, thankfully, in our country, it doesn't work like that. But they try sometimes. Compared to God, who are they? I think more often it would come back to that thought of circumstances. We come across circumstances in our life 
to challenge us, that uh, maybe bring in stress, that maybe bring in heartache, that maybe bring in different things. And we have to ask the question, compared to God, what is this circumstance? Uh, we have to take a step back and compare whatever it is to God. Romans 8.31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? David understood this. Romans hadn't been written yet. David didn't have Romans. Yet David understood, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who is this un uncircumcised Philistine? There's a reason he used that terminology. He's not one of us. Who is he that he thinks he can defy the armies of the living God? Jericho defied the armies of the living God, and what happened to them? As a matter of fact, many armies throughout Joshua's life tried to defy the armies of the living God. What happened to them? Pharaoh defied the people of the living God. What happened to him? The people in Noah's day defied Noah's God, the people of the living God. What happened to them? You see, if we compare it with God and who God is, we can understand that if God be for us, who can be against us? And David here, uh, standing in, in a group of soldiers, and no doubt David was going to be a soldier one day, had his life, and, and he was, but uh, even if his life would have stayed the same, he would have eventually been a soldier. But he had men that, that were around him were tough, they were trained, they were legit soldiers, and they were in fear. If you read earlier in the passage, every time Goliath came out, they were scared senseless. And yet David standing here, he says, wait a second, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Many times in life we're the same as those soldiers where we would stand there and we would go, I'm really scared about the circumstance. I'm really scared and have fear over this, this person in my life and the situation going on with them. And when we should be stepping back and saying, compared to God, what is this? It's nothing. It is yet a small matter that God can handle in His discretion and His timing and His way if we simply let him do so. David was willing to let God handle the situation. The soldiers were willing to trust their training and they knew their training couldn't get it done. They were rightfully, humanly afraid of Goliath because no one man was able to defeat Goliath. I don't understand the old school warfare. Uh, even in the colonial days where they would march into a field, line up on a straight line and just shoot at each other. I don't get who in the world thought this is a good idea. Um, you know, isn't it wiser to hide behind a tree um, and shoot from there? I, I don't know. Uh, isn't it wiser to get a little ball of gunpowder and pull a pin and throw it at them from a distance and let it explode and kill them instead of me just say, I hope he misses? Um, you know, I don't understand that mindset. And even in this day, I don't understand why would you not just all go together <laughs> and surprise attack Goliath and he's gone. But there was a way of war and they were all following that way of war. And in this case... Soldiers were afraid, and David said, but compared to God, this, this so-called giant is nothing. He asked the right question. Number two, we see the right response and criticism. Look down in verse 29. Uh, David said, oh, I'm sorry, look in verse 28. And Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? David now has the right response to criticism. Eliab, his oldest brother, 
This kind of reminds me of Jacob's brothers to a degree as well. And we see Eliab here standing, and he hears David talking to the men, and he's asking, What's, what happens to the man who kills Goliath? And they're telling him all the great things and rewards this man will get if he's able to kill Goliath. And Eliab calls out David and says, You just came, uh, uh, you warmonger, you came to see the battle. Who's taking care of your few sheep out there in the wilderness? Aren't you supposed to be taking care of some sheep right now? Why are you here? Why are you having this conversation? What is wrong with you? What are you doing here? And David's response to his brother is, wait a second, I haven't done anything wrong. He said, and is there not a cause? You soldiers are standing here with your knees buckling and shaking and looking at each other going, is anybody going to try to take care of this? Is anybody going to take care? I'm not going to do it. I'm too afraid. I'm not going to do it. I can't beat Goliath. No, he's too big. He's too strong. He's too powerful. And David goes, wait a second. This guy's out here saying some things he shouldn't be saying. It's like the, the little five-year-old who's in the store and he hears that somebody say something, a word that they're not allowed to say. And they say, oh, daddy, he said, beep. Oh, hey, don't say that. Uh, right? Uh, that's kind of the way that, that David's sitting here hearing Goliath speak. He's saying, somebody needs to shut that guy up. He's saying things he shouldn't be saying, and he's saying them about our God, the one true God, the living God. Who does he think he is? And now his brother's saying, David, shouldn't you be out in the field taking care of some sheep right now? You know, Eliab's ultimate fear is the same that Saul would face, and we'll look at that in a moment. But we see that uh, Eliab, the brother, he had done nothing to stop Goliath. No soldier in that battle had done anything to stop Goliath. Uh, 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 Goliath. Why was he angry at David for talking about it? I think he was angry at David because he was afraid David might actually go out and take care of the problem. My little brother. And there was some pride in Eliab. Although he was accusing David of pride and naughtiness of heart. King Saul, who was head and shoulders above everyone, had done nothing. And this was going to come back to, to bite King Saul. This is going to be the root of his bitterness for years and years and years to come. Because King Saul was sitting there, uh, he should have been the one. And I believe God would have used King Saul if, if King Saul would have asked God to do so. King Saul was the leader, and he should have been out there, and he should have been the one that slayed Goliath. But he wasn't. It was this shepherd, David, that did. And, and over the next number of years, Saul would begin to be bitter and angry at David for doing what Saul should have done. Eliab was going to be angry at David for what Eliab should have done. Most of the soldiers seem to be pretty excited about it, but I believe Eliab, uh, although we don't read much more about Eliab and definitely King Saul, this was going to be a problem for them to come because Eliab says, hey, shouldn't you be somewhere else? And David said, but wait, there's a cause to be here. There's a cause that someone should go down there and kill this guy. No one else is doing it. When there's a cause, we have to fight. There are times, in, and the Bible talks about turning the other cheek, and there are times where we do that, where we are quiet, peaceable, turn the other cheek. There's also times where there's a cause where we have to stand up and fight. Not with our fists, although if you're talking nationally, then yes, but spiritually there's a time where we have to stand up and we have to say this is wrong and we will not stand for it. There are laws being passed in our state that a Christian ought to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. That a Christian ought write email, telephone, 
ask for a meeting with someone and saying, I beg you to vote against this because this is just straight up wrong. There's a time where we have to fight. There's a time where we have to stand up and, and, and allow our voice to be heard. And there are times where we must turn away, but that's the question we have to ask. Is there not a cause? David had the right question on saying, who is this guy or who does he think he is? He also had the right response when he faced criticism from his brother Eliab when he says, is there not a cause? I don't know that we have the entire conversation recorded for us. I don't know if David pulled Eliab to the side and said, why is nobody doing anything? But David does volunteer himself to do so. And so they bring him to Saul and stand before King Saul, which has to be an exciting and nervous time for David. He's going before the king now. It's one thing to talk to soldiers, your brother's friends, but now I'm going to go stand before the king and tell him, hey, I'll go fight Goliath. And we don't, again, we're just, we have the text, so we don't, we don't know the, the voice of David. We don't know how bold he was in this or how nervous he was and any of those sorts of things. And we like to paint David as this weakling, and he was not that. But nonetheless, David faces Saul now, comes before Saul, and he brings with him the right memories. First, the right question. Second, the right response to criticism. Thirdly, the right memories. And in verse 33, uh, let's look in verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart uh, fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. And you see the wrong mindset in Saul here? It's, he's looking at his entire army and said, we don't have anybody in our army that can fight him. I don't know what he was waiting for. Was he waiting for uh, a Goliath to die of old age? I, I don't know. But nonetheless, David says, hey, I'll fight him. And it makes me wonder, as other soldiers come to Saul and say, I'll fight him. And Saul says, no, 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 you're, no, we've seen you fight. You're no good. Go away. David comes and Saul says, you can't go fight Goliath. You're just a youth and he's a great man of battle. Looking very, he, didn't, he didn't even mention that in fact he's a giant. He, he's just a, he's, he's, he's a trained soldier. Verse 34, and David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And I'm sure Saul went, oh great, we got a shepherd. <laughs> no, he goes on. Thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of, the mouth, out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him with his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he would deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David came to Saul with the right memories. The memories of the victories that God had already given him. And David stands before Saul, and Saul's first response is, You're just a little guy. You're just a youth. You're too young. You're not trained yet. You can't fight Goliath. And David says, Well, I was a shepherd, or am a shepherd, and a lion and a bear came out and attacked my flock. And I killed both of them my bare hands he says there the lion that he caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him and he slew both the lion and the bear David remembered the victories that God had already given him 
too often times when we come across uh, things against us, we come with the, uh, the memories of our failures as opposed to, our, to the victories that God's given us. I am sure, and I could be wrong, but I am sure there have been plenty of times in David's life before that an animal came out and got his sheep. I would just assume it's the nature of the beast that if he's keeping sheep all the time, there more than likely has been a time or two where a coyote or another bear or another lion had come out and stolen a sheep out of his flock. Maybe not. But David didn't come with past failures. He didn't come and tell Saul, now even though I killed a lion and a bear, I also wasn't paying attention when the coyote came. Um, I also had one sheep fall off a cliff. Uh, I also had, he didn't come with those things. And he didn't come on his own pride either. He said, God delivered the bear and the lion to me, and this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be no different. We have to think on the things that God gives us to think on. Because we waste so much time in our life thinking about failures. We allow our past failures to drag us down, to keep us from progressing, to keep us from growing the way that we should. Philippians 4.9 says, Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We all fail. We've all had failures. We've all had times in our life that we would uh, happily never talk about again if we didn't have to, but yet we still think on those things. And we still think on the, the attacks that we're getting from the world and from society, and we think about the sin that's, that's taken over the world, and we're thinking about uh, the, the wickedness that's in, um, in our authority in this world, and we think about all these things, and we allow that to fill our brain, and that's all we think on is failure, 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 wickedness, sin, sin, failure, wickedness. Yet there's been victories that God has given us throughout our life, and instead of claiming those victories and boldly going forward with those victories, we dwell on the past failures instead. But whatsoever things are true, God is true. Whatsoever things are honest, honorable, reputable, think on those things. Just, meaning right between people. Think on those things. Pure, clean, chaste, lovely, amiable, or not sour, not crabby. Uh, think on those things. Good report. Uh, it's courtesy, respect, respect for authority. The things that you look at and go, yeah, that's, that's how it's supposed to be done. This, uh, we got to do an event yesterday or Friday at a school, elementary school for work, uh, showing them insects and things like that. And my boss said, uh, hey, have you gotten this yet? And I said, yes, sir. And then he asked me another question like two minutes later. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, he punched me in the arm. And he said, I like it because you say yes, sir. For me, it's just natural. There are times I say to my kids, yes, sir. Not very often. Um, I'm usually saying no. But uh, nonetheless, uh, there are times when I do that. It's just natural for me, if I have someone in authority especially, if they say something to me, it's going to be yes, sir. That's what my parents um, literally beat into me. It's what, it's what I was always taught. It's reputable. It's, it's of a good report. That's why so many Christians today are failing, is because of the way they respond to authority is so naturally wicked. It's not a good report. Think on those things. Kindness. At the end of the day, God is all of these things. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. 
praise and virtue. God has all of those things. So think on that. Why do we waste so much time on our failures? I've spoken with people before and asked them about church and come to church or get involved in church and do different things. And, and they start telling me, well, you just don't know what I've been through. You just don't know what my life has been like. You don't understand the things that have been in my life. And I've heard many people say, if I walked into your church, the whole building would fall down. And I say, my wife walks in every Sunday. It's fine. <laughs> Wait, she's in here. Um, I said, trust me, we've had wicked people in our doors. We have them every Sunday. Nothing happens to the building. It's an excuse that we make to not move forward and do what God wants us to do. So many times in our life, God's saying, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, and we just go, well, maybe you do, but God, I think you've forgotten about this. And there's other reasons we do it as well, and we're talking about bitterness in Sunday school, and and past hurt and things like that. We have all kinds of excuses. I've told you before, the guy I met in, in New York, and he got, uh, I, was, I prayed with him about something, and then I asked him if he was saved, and that's the short version of it, and he said, I, I am. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, do you have a good church that you go to? He goes, oh, I haven't been to church in a while. And he said, churches are just full of hypocrites. I said, boy, they sure are, aren't they? I said, good thing we don't go to church because of the people. We go to church because of God. David didn't come and see Goliath and hear Goliath and go, well, nobody else is doing anything, so I guess I shouldn't either. Nobody else is strong enough. I'm surely not. When Eliab said, aren't you supposed to be watching the sheep? David could have said, yeah, I should probably get back. He could have stood before David or Saul, and Saul, Saul says, but you're just a youth. And David goes, yeah, yeah, I am. You're right. Because I'm guessing, I could be wrong, just purely opinion, but I'm guessing another soldier had come to Saul and said, I'll, I'll take care of it. And Saul said, no, no. Okay, you're right, Saul. <laughs> David didn't do any of those things. He said, uh, I might be a youth. He said, but in my youth, God allowed me to slay a lion and a bear. And this big, ugly fella down there, he ain't no different. That's in the original Hebrew. Um, <laughs> David had the right question. David had the right response to criticism. He had the right memories. And lastly, finally, he had the right speech. We see in verse 41. It's on the other page. And the Philistine Goliath came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare his shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about, and he saw David. I have the picture, and maybe you've had this as well. It says he looked about. Where? Oh, you? He saw David, and he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David, then said David to the Philistine, Here's David's speech. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This 
day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." I want you to understand some important vocabulary that David used in this speech. Number one, he makes it very clear this battle is the Lord's. It's not, I'm, it's not that I'm going to kill you. It's that the Lord's going to allow me to kill you. Along with that, he says in, at the end of verse 47, He will give you into our hands, not my hands our hands. David was not prideful in anything that he was doing here. This was not a look at me moment. This was not a chance to prove himself. This was a chance for him to prove God. And he stands up to Goliath as Goliath very simply uh, just, I don't know exactly what he said, but he cursed David by his gods. He called uh, himself a dog that they would send forth staves. And he's sitting there and he is ridiculing David and upset that they didn't bring someone more powerful. Goliath is saying, I wanted this to be a spectacle and now I'm just going to basically squash this ant. And David's response is not fear. David's response is not uh, pride. It's not prideful, but it's confident. It's not self, but it's God. He's confident in what God can do. And he says in verse 46, The Lord will deliver thee into mine hand. There, he says at the end of verse 46 that the, all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. In verse assembly, that this assembly, everybody watching is going to know that the Lord saveth, and it's not by a skilled swordsman. And it's not by a skilled spear. It's not by a skilled soldier. And this will prove that it's God that's giving the victory and no one else. And all those gods that you cursed me by earlier, you're going to realize they are simply nothing but a statue. You will see the one true God today. Well, you won't. Everybody else will. Victory comes when faith and confidence is placed in God. We watch our life and we see the circumstances that are overtaking us and we give in to them many times because we don't have confidence and we don't have faith that God can do what He says He will do. David, though, stood before Goliath, a giant, nine foot tall, nine foot plus, and he had no fear in what Goliath would do to him because he says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? And David, with this great speech where he turns it back on Goliath and he says, you said the birds will eat me, well, I'll tell you the fowl and the beasts of the air are going to feast on your body. We know that David took a stone out of his satchel or his bag and he put it in his slingshot, and he swung the slingshot around, and he released it, and the stone flew. And he hit one of the very few spots that was open on Goliath's armor to hit. And Goliath fell down to the ground, and as he fell to the ground, David looked around. He did not have a sword with him. He came with a slingshot and five stones. And David went over to Goliath, and he pulled the sword out of Goliath's hands, and he cut off Goliath's heads and he head and he held up Goliath's head and all the Philistine army ran for their lives. 
and all the army of Israel who had been standing there listening to Goliath defy their God over and over and over again suddenly had some confidence. And they went and they chased after the Philistine army. Today we stand and we, we, we allow the circumstances to beat us because we don't uh, put our dependence in God to win the victories for us. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, am I capable of this today? And if we think we are, then we go after it. And if we think we're not, then we, then we shrink away from it. The reality is, is dependence on ourselves will, will consistently end in failure. We'll be like Eliab, we'll be like King Saul. Will be like the rest of the soldiers who stood there and listened and did nothing. David finally came. David had confidence in what God could do. And David stood before his brother and said, Is there not a cause? And he stood before the king of the nation and he said, This Philistine will be just like the bears and the lions. God will deliver him unto me. And he stood before Goliath and he said, you're about to fall. He did it all because of his faith in God. When you stand there today or tomorrow or this week or next month or whenever it is and you allow circumstances to come, ask the right question, what is this compared to my God? What is this great need that I have compared to God? Have the right response and criticism when people say, you're not going to be able to do that. You want to go talk about the Bible with your coworkers at lunch? You can't do that. Is there not a cause? You want to give your money that you've worked for, that you've saved, you want to give that to some guy that's going to some other country to start churches? can't do that. Is there not a cause? Have the right memories, not the failures, because we've all had those, the victories that God has already given you. It's hard to lack faith in God when you're thinking about all the things that God's done for you. It's hard to lack confidence in what God can do when you're thinking about all the things that God's already done for you. Have the right memories and then have the right speech. Joshua had a great speech when he stood before the people and he said, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, a lot of this comes back down to a choice that you have to make. I'm going to do right. I'm going to do what God said for me to do. I'm going to obey what God's Word says. It's a choice that you have to make. And sometimes it takes standing up and saying, I'm going to do this with God's help and by God's grace. Go get this victory. It's a lot of great speeches throughout history. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I was just a young little lad then. Many sports speeches that I can think of. Many fake speeches on movies that you can think of. <laughs> Rousing speeches. When I think of great speeches, I immediately come to this one with David standing before Goliath and said, this day, <laughs> you're going down. Stand before Satan 
and before the circumstances of your life and say, today, you're going down. Tomorrow, you're going down. Because my God has already given me so many victories. I have no reason to believe He's not going to give me this one too. Have the right question, the right response and criticism, the right memories and the right speech, and allow God to do great things in your life and use you to impact the world for Christ. Lord, help us, I do pray. Give us boldness. We need it. Lord, help us to remember the things that you've done for us. So often we, we fall back on our failures instead of looking at your, uh, your help in our life. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be able to stand boldly, confidently, faithfully for you and do what is right and follow through with the things that you'd have us to do. Lord, so often we minimize ourselves or we look and, and we, we, we fall into what everyone was trying to tell David. You're just a, a young person. You're just a shepherd. You're, just, you're not a soldier. You can't do this. And yet David consistently said confidently, no, God can do this. I can't, but God can. And he allowed you to use him as I believe you would have used any person in that army had they had the same confidence and faith as him. Lord, help us now to never go, well, I'm not good enough, or I'm not talented enough, or I'm not whatever enough. Lord, may we realize you are. So boldly we can claim victories with your help. Lord, whatever it is that's, that's challenging us today, Lord, help us to come to you, seek your help. And Lord, help us to throw our slingshot, so to say, and knock down the giant, just as you helped David do so. You are the one true God. You are the living God. And Lord, may we let nothing or no one stand between us and victory because of you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get set up for lunch. And once everything is set up, we will pray for the food and we will eat. Let's be dismissed.